Did you see the stylish kids in the riot? Shoveled up like mocks, said the night on fire, wombles bleed. Truncheons and shields, you know I cherish you, my love. Welcome to the Young IPA Podcast. I'm James, this is Pete. G'day everyone. It is the 16th of April and it is episode 105 and we've got a huge show for you guys coming up. We're going to be talking to the IPA's Director of Communications, Evan Mulholland. Spinner. The spinner, the spin king, the uh, tea leaf reader, the Nostradamus, if you will, of the IPA. He is going to be talking us through the upcoming election. He's going to be making some bold predictions that we're going to see if they come true or not Mm. and just talk about what is at stake. I didn't think there was a whole lot at stake, but apparently there is some stuff at stake. And uh, he's also going to be talking through what the IPA wants to see as a policy platform of either of the parties. We'll take any of them. Uh, that's coming up later in the show. We are also going to be talking to Jack Mintz from the University of Calgary, one of the leading experts in the world on the issue of taxation. Now, taxation, not a thing that young people usually think about, Pete. But they should. They should. And we explain why. And Jack Mintz talks about what Australia needs to get right if it's going to uh, get back in you know the good books of the world, I guess, uh, in terms of taxation. So that's also coming up back. It's good um, to be in those good books. Yes, we want to be in the good books. All right, I'm gonna be I'm gonna be real with you guys for a second. Can I All be right. real? For this is a this is a world first. But yep. Anyway, can I can I be real? Yeah, yeah. I found it very hard to not con- to concentrate on anything else than Game of Thrones this week. Yeah, so okay. I'm going to really need you guys to pick up the slack because I have not been paying attention to well, the world. Well, as always, I've come in really well researched and yep. prepared. What? Yes. That, if there's one thing that the people of this podcast, who listen to this podcast know, is that Peter Gregory is across his brief at all times. That's right. So I gather you watched the Stop episode. Stop laughing, Nina. Stop laughing. <laughs> there it is. I gather you watched the episode. I did. I've watched it twice already. And what was it like? Because uh, I didn't watch it. Uh, oh, you know, no spoilers, but... 7.5 out of 10, maybe an 8. Okay. So, oh, really? good start. Good start. Could have could have used a bit more, but there was a whole lot of it. I will talk about this for an hour and a half if I'm not, if I don't cut myself off right now. Okay. So, we should move on. Well, all I had to say was this is what a world without the rule of law and property looks like, kids. Yes. Thanks, good Pete. Point. Thanks yep. for that. Yeah. It would have all been different if they had a Bill of Rights. Yeah. All right. Magna uh, Carta. Magna Carta. Exactly. That's the one thing holding Game of Thrones back. That, that would destroy the Night King. See, I'm, I'm back it again. Maybe right. that's how they can finally end it. Yeah, that's that's the last episode. It's them signing the Magna Carta, and the Night King is destroyed. He just melts away. Uh, all right, so let's talk about it, because the really what we should lead with is that the election has been called. Yeah. And we're looking at May 18. Uh, this, now, if I thought last election wasn't very hype-worthy, this one might even be worse mm-hmm. to me. I have not looked less for, like, I have not been less excited for an election in my life. That's right. Well, I mean, it's just a, it's giving the people the opportunity to see which politician will be knifed by their colleagues in a few months. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Which is great. Which, uh, yeah, which person do you want to see making a very sad press conference in three and a half yep. months' time? And then bitterly, you yep. know, sledging their comments from the back benches for Real, the next few years. Yeah, exactly. Like, really, look, like, this should come down to, it, it, like, both leadership parties, like, they should just wheel out the defence minister for the election debates because, like, that's the guy that's going to be there in a few months. Mm-hmm. Just like, oh, could be. I don't know. Well, we could got to get to know all of them. Yeah. Uh, already this, they've started doing this thing. You know how police do these stunts to try and prove that they're funny and real human beings? Yes. I hate them. Yeah. We've seen the uh, Labor's Helen Polly get a sombrero out called Sonny. Sombrero's mm-hmm. got a name. It's called Sonny. Oh, yep. Matt Canavan. Oh, sombrero. Son. Yep. I get it. <laughs> Uh, Jackie Lambert eating a sausage, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, it's also shockingly 2019. Yeah, I think I've said this before on the podcast, but politicians should just stop trying to convince us that they're people. Just mm. where, your politicians, like no one's under any false pretenses that you're politicians. Just rock that you're a politician. Like don't try and eat the hot dog because you're not going to get it normal, Bill Shorten. 
because he eats it from the middle out. Um, That's right. We do talk we about talk, that. Uh, I'm fascinated by it. I, th- I talk about it almost daily. Uh, anyway, so, yeah, like I'm not exactly looking forward to this election. Uh, Scott Morrison and Bill Shorten aren't exactly the electric factories I want to see on TV every night. Uh, mm-hmm. It's just going to be very dull. But one thing we do want to talk about is the IPA last week released uh, tw- our 20 policy document that we want to see this election. Well, 15 that we do want to see, and we probably won't. And five that we don't want to see, but we probably will. I really hope they don't get that mixed up. Yep. <laughs> it's like, we told you, no, 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 read the document again. We do not want that thing. And we want this other thing. Uh, I, I, I like it that we've called it 15 policies that we want to see, but probably won't. Like, even in the title, we're just sort of, you know, wait, we've given up at this point. Like, we'd love to see this. We would really love to see this. Anybody that wants to adopt this policy, Great. Neither of you are going to. Well, I think generally over the journey, the IPA is probably good for three or four. Yeah. We're probably not going to see all 15, but we'll get a few of them. Uh, We're going to talk about one in a second that we that we did. Yeah, I was going to say, with. so, uh, oh, that we've had a bit of success with. Mm-hmm. Talk us through that one, Pete. Oh, okay. Let's go to that one. Yep. So, to the to the Moving on to the French review, is that what Oh, okay. I, we'll not move on to that one uh, just yet. <laughs> but uh, let's talk so. about the actual 20 policies. So which are the ones that sort of caught your IP? Which ones of the, of the 20 would you like to see? Because I'll start with mine. Uh Repealing Section 18C and making sure that race is no part of the Constitution. Two of the closest ones to my heart. So hopefully see them up. Uh, you know, Go to ipa.org.au, read through the entire document for yourself. One that I always find interesting in there is like doubling the size of the federal parliament, mm. like the actual number of politicians. Because, you know, me being a guy that not a big fan of politicians in general, the first time someone pitched that to me, I was like, but that's double the thing that I don't already like. Mm-hmm. But then when you think about it and you get more people in there, you get more debates, there's like, because stra- I think, who do we talk about this on the show with? Was it Dan Hendon or Brendan O'Neill? But the fact in the British Parliament, there are so many politicians that you do have backbencher members of the governing party can just throw bombs at the... That's like, right. There's <laughs> like less party just... Metaphorical bomb. bombs, but can throw bombs at the cabinet <laughs> because they care about things and the cabinet's... Uh, not listening to them. So you got yeah. Jacob, you know, like Jacob Rees-Mogg would always like throw stuff about Brexit at the cabinet. Like, where are we? Uh, because he can do that. Mm. Because in Australia, there were so few politicians and the way that we do this and the now, any politician in Canberra is 15 seconds away from being prime minister at any moment and That's they don't right. want to screw things up for themselves. So everyone just toes party lines. So if you double the number of politicians, you don't have people po- towing party lines anymore. That's right. You get would be a, fun. a lot of people further away from the leadership. You do require a referendum to achieve that though, James, yes. as um, I think it was Zach explained to us the other day in the yep. office. So, yeah. but you know, but that's a good one. Man can dream. The one I want to see, or the one dream. I don't want to see is the um, referendum. I just think that's going to be bad is for the, the country. Is yeah, yes. yeah. So it'll get, it'll, you know, get smashed and then where will we be? Yeah, where will we be? Uh, okay, well, let's talk about the one that we've had a bit of success with. So, l- Pete, last week was the release of the French Review. That's right. Just allow me to scroll down for one second. Okay, right. the report right the report from the French Review into University Freedom of Speech was handed down last week. The review occurred as a result of concerns raised by the IPA and academics and students about the state of free speech on campus. The review found many of the higher education rules and policies mentioned in the report um, used broad language capable of impinging on freedom of speech. Um, this is especially relevant, of course, with the Peter Reid case. Of course, the IPA's free speech on campus audit found that freedom of expression is under threat at Australian universities um, and found that free speech is a... So the review found that the free speech is a paramount and special value for universities, not one value among many. Yes. Uh, like, I'm, I'm kind of tired with this. I would have liked a bit of a stronger statement about the need to protect freedom of speech, mm-hmm. but it's good that we have it on record. Like, yeah, there is a problem. That's and right. Anytime that the IPA makes up an appendix of official report, I'm, you know, 
chalk one up for us. That's right. I'm putting it in, in score one for us on the board in the W column. So great work from the IPA and of course Matthew Lesh on this. Obviously the culture has to follow the policy, so it's not just that the policy has to be in place. We have to, yeah. you know, renew the culture of freedom of expression on our university campuses. Um, and I honestly think it's better for people to be exposed to ideas that they might find uncomfortable. Of course, you know what we really need to do now is see 33 percent of academics be conservative, 33 percent to be liberal, and the other 33 percent can be Marxist. Yep, and um, then they can go on Q and A. But at the moment... Because the audience is always the same on Q&A. That's right. But, uh, and, you know, and so we're not really going to see freedom of expression until that sort of re-equalises, but it's a good start. Yes. Uh, let's move on to another freedom of speech issue. So Israel Folau, rugby player. Uh, I think he's good. I don't know. Yeah, no. I'm not I a think big rugby good. fan. Is he good? I'm not... A, well... I'm I thought he's on four million a year, so, I mean... That's, that seems cool I just me. thought he was an ex-GWS player. Yeah, that's all we know him is the failed stint he t- tried at AFL. But anyway, uh, deeply devout believer in uh, God and stuff. So on his Instagram account. What a theologian we have yeah. <laughs> today. Look, uh, I think, yes, God. And uh, so on his Instagram account, I think he's already had a few warnings like, dude, yeah. chill with the God stuff on Insta. Uh, yeah. He has decided to not listen to that and has recently shared an image which said to, quote, drunks, homosexuals, adulterers, liars, fornicators, thieves, atheists, and idolaters that, quote, hell awaits you, repents, only Jesus saves. Now, it's not my favorite opinion ever. And to be honest, uh, it doesn't sound very good for me. Like, <laughs> I think I'm... Like, Israel Folau definitely thinks I'm going to hell. I think I at least subscribe to three of those things. Yeah, there's a few. A little bit close to home, is yeah. he, to be honest? Uh, and so now he's been sacked by Rugby Australia. I think he's had one week to, like, say, uh, to accept his thing. Uh, and he's been sacked and he's $4 million down the drain. So... Your thoughts, Pete? Well, yeah, he has 48 hours to respond to the sanction that they have um, have the matter referred to the Code of Conduct hearing. My thoughts are that, you know, I mean, they can sack him if they want. That's fine with me. But yeah. um, it's more like you sort of see people like Qantas coming in, one of their major sponsors, complaining about this, saying this is not yep. the kind of thing we want to see in rugby, which is fair enough. They're entitled to do that. But they're absolute hypocrites because yep. they have deals with governments that punish homosexuality with death. Yes. So, I mean, obviously uh, you care about gay people, but not so much that you're going to lose money over it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, let me read out from, sorry, Morgan Begg, friend and foe of the podcast, had an article in the Sydney Morning Herald, which I thought was absolutely fantastic, and he just picks up Pete's point there. Mm-hmm. While Qantas says it believes in diversity, it doesn't believe in the right of someone to express a religious viewpoint. Qantas is hypocritical. It has partner airlines such as Qatar Airways and Emirates, owned and operated by repressive regimes, the Qatar and Dubai, respectively. Qatar imprisons those who are deemed guilty of homosexual acts in the United Arab Emirates, of which Dubai is part, punishes homosexuality with the death penalty. Mm. So you can really have a go at Israel Folau on Instagram, but when it starts costing money? Yeah. yeah, that's Not so much. Not so much. Um, um, you go. Yeah. Oh, so I was going to say, so you're completely right that it's not exactly a free speech issue because Israel Folau can walk up and down the street keeping on saying that all the you know drunks and adulterers and people like that are going to hell. Mm-hmm. Um, so you, know, you just can't play rugby and do that. So I get that, and, you know, there, he did have a social media policy that he breached. My one thing, and, like, you know, there are drunks, homosexuals, atheists, and fornicators who do watch rugby and would be offended by what Israel Folau said, so I can get it from Rugby Australia's perspective. <laughs> all those fornicators yeah. out there. <laughs> all those fornicators out there. That besieged minority. My overwhelming point with this is that can we please, as a society, stop caring what athletes think? Oh, yeah. Please. Like, just they kick balls through posts yeah. and they put balls behind a line and that's all we need them to do. Like yeah. why like honestly whose day was changed by the fact that Israel Falau is not a giant fan of thieves? Like who whose day actually was like, you know what, 
I thought I knew this guy. I thought I liked him watching. I thought I liked watching him put a ball behind a line. And now I don't like doing that anymore. Yeah, it is one of those things as you grow up, you realize, oh, actually, not all footy players are legends. Yeah, yeah. That's <laughs> like, they're good there. They're just not that good over there. Just, yeah. So, uh, look, and, and you're right. And I think that this is an example. I'd much rather see the markets kind of punish discrimination. Like, yeah. this is the market punishing discrimination. It's not the government, which is what we always say is a good way to deal with yes. views that we don't like. Uh, and the other thing, which Scott Highgraves told me at the pub last Friday night, and Scott has a lot of interesting things to say at the pub, but this was particularly interesting that he had the view that how can you be offended that someone says you're going to hell if you don't believe hell exists? That's the other part. Like, yeah, I, I don't believe in hell. So when Israel Folau says that I'm going to hell on numerous accounts, it's just like, well, we'll see. If there was a hell, yeah. you should definitely go to it. <laughs> so I'd be ruling that joint in three days flat. I think uh, he, just, just to absolutely clarify, I think he still has time to respond to it if he wants yeah. to, but he's not going to. See, suffice, like, far be it for me to relate this to American sports. <laughs> But Go they on. have it so much oh. better than us. Like, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar changed his name from Louis and, uh, and got really into being a Muslim back in the 60s when, you know, it wasn't exactly cool to do that. But you know what? That man was really good at putting a ball through a net and people were just okay with it. Well, exactly. They got, they got heaps of athlete uh, flat earthers, yeah, don't they? Exa- well, yeah. Shaq, um, I mean, Kyrie Irving does not believe the earth is round, but watching pirouette on a basketball court and you can believe whatever the hell you like, the young man. <laughs> what about Shaq? Is he the one who's... Oh, he, it was Charles Barkley. No, he was kidding, remember? No, Shaquille O'Neal was flat earther. Then he said he was kidding and absolutely was not kidding. Yeah. Um, but he's funny on TV. So... Don't sue a Shaq. On. <laughs> All right. Let's move on. I would love to be sued by Shaquille O'Neal. That sounds like a really good way to meet him. That's, that, that's the only chance I have left of ever meeting Shaquille O'Neal. You just O'Neal. meet his lawyers. Or... Because I don't know if you guys saw the clip, but he went into a mosh pit at a rave concert. <laughs> yeah, just like at a dance techno rave. Imagine being at a dance techno rave. You turn around and Shaquille O'Neal behind you, <laughs> throwing elbows. I can't see the DJ, mate. Can yeah, you? <laughs> sir, sir, sir. Can you both? No, move? just yeah, it's all right. No one watches the DJ at raves. Let's no. be honest. Um, all right, so there was one other story we need to get to at the start here, Pete, and that is the unions rally. That's right. Changed the rules last Wednesday. Changed the rules. Union rally closed down the Melbourne CBD. Uh, the Melbourne March was one of fourteenth. 14 that took place around the country. It was protesting against low wages, growth and increasing casualisation of the workforce and supporting Bill Shorten's proposal of a living wage. Uh, in a cute turn of phrase, it said it sponsored, not sponsored, supported trickle-up economics. Mm. The lowest paid workers will boost the whole economy, which is an interesting yeah. way of looking at things. I'm pretty sure none of the unions are the lowest paid workers, though, so I'm can not I say sure one thing? what they know about that. Can you I say can, one thing? You can say more than one, mate. We've got now. No help. one actually believes in trickle-down economics. Do, do people know that? No one actually goes trickle-down economics is an economic theory. What do you mean? Like, as in, like, people say, like, oh, you just believe in trickle-down economics. It's like, that's not actually a thing. Well, it's just a lefty name for free market economics. Yeah, yeah, but they actually think it's like the idea is if we give rich people money, it will trickle down into the lower class. It's like, that's that's not how it works. Yeah, it's, well, I mean, you would have to ask people who say... Trickle down economics, yeah. what they mean by trickle down. I just down. want it on record, no one actually believes in trickle down economics. Well, <laughs> it depends what you mean, yeah. but anyway. No, the actual, you know what I mean. Let's park this. Let's let's move this to a side. Um, uh, yep, you go. Okay, so well, my big question about the union rally was, so how many people went to the vegan rally the day before and then doubled up and went back to the union rally? Oof. What percentage Two of unions are vegans? Yeah. I'm going to say 0% maybe? Uh, yeah, probably. But so, you know, interesting, interesting to think about that. <laughs> Uh, and the other one is pipe and smoke why a living why a living wage? Let's have an awesome wage. Yeah, let's make the wage a million bucks a year for everyone, do no it. matter what they do. Yeah, sounds good to me. Come on, Bill Shorten. Yeah. If you can just 
you know, make up people's wages. Let's make them, let's go for the stars. <laughs> That's a kick-ass wage. Yeah, exactly. Like that. Instead of a living wage, kick-ass uh, wage. You just want to live. Yeah. I want to fly. Mansion wage. All right. Um, uh, what was I going to say about that? I don't know, man. Yeah. Oh, uh, by the way, if you want to read some stuff about what the IPA has done about the Change the Rules campaign, you can head on over to our Facebook page. Last year, we made a video, uh, Gideon Rosner talked through how the Change the Rules campaign is actually a bit misguided because mm-hmm. uh, the unions kind of wrote the rules anyway. And what we really That's need true. to see <laughs> to uh, what we really need to see to get people back into work is. You know, uh, deregulating the economy, deregulating the labour market, allowing people to pick up jobs uh, a lot easier. So Gideon talks through that much better than I'm doing right now. Over I mean, you pretty much got page. it. And he also put a media release on the website on the day of the uh, rally, which you can also read at ipa.org.au. Well, uh, I should say a few things that Gideon said, actually, just briefly. He did say job security has improved in the last 30 years. Australia is not becoming more unequal. And 88% of freelancers said that if they were offered full-time work, they would not take it. Right. Interesting. Those are the key stats. Fantastic. All right. Uh, let us go to our interviews with Evan and Jack. But before we do, here's what the IPA has been up to this week. So a lot of it is about the 20 policies. So you can head on over to the website. You can read all 20 policies and there's an explainer as to why we want to see them and why we shouldn't see the five, like the, why we should see the 15 that we want and why we shouldn't see the five that we don't want. Uh, you can also read Daniel Wilde's article in, which paper was it? The Australian, where he talks through the policies and puts forward an, a coalition agenda that would stand up for all Australians and what they can do to really differentiate themselves from Labor. So fingers crossed that they read that. You can also read Andrew Bushnell. Sorry, there was a huge criminal justice uh, story developing over in the US that sort of went away from the Australian media. So Andrew Bushnell talking about what Donald Trump's endorsement of the criminal justice reform can mean for Australia. You've got Morgan Begg, as discussed, he's in the Sydney Morning Carol talking about the Israel Folau situation and how the outrage mob is out to get him and why or why not Rugby Australia should stack him. Uh, And you've also got Sinclair Davidson in the Australian Financial Review on Chris Bowen's uh, budget policy. There's a lot of articles. Yeah, it was a big week for the IPA. So head on over to ipa.org.au to read all that. All right. Thanks, guys, so much for listening to this podcast. We're available on all good podcast apps. Make sure you're leaving us a five-star review if you are listening to us through iTunes. And make sure you're telling friends and family about the show. Best way to spread a show is through word of mouth. So... Goal for the listeners to tell at least three people about this podcast and get them listening. And if you don't do that, then I ban you from listening to next week's episode. But not really. Um, thoughts, Pete? No thoughts. Not thoughts. We're not going to ban you. That's a joke. Definitely not. Uh, and make sure you're heading on over and listening to the Looking Forward podcast. Uh, that is going really well. Make sure you're leaving that five-star review as well. That's taking a deeper look at these uh, policy issues that are facing Australia. Tomorrow on the show, we've got Chris Berg, Andrew Bushnell, Daniel Wilde, and Zach Gorman, and they're going to be talking about the Israel for last situation, the, uh, what they want to see in another election, and a few other things as well. So head on over to that one, because that's a great listen. All right, uh, Nina, if people want to support the IPA away from this podcast, if they're already subscribed to both podcasts, what can they do to support the work of the Institute of Public Affairs? Well, be a member, actually. Just visit the website, ipa.org.au. And if you still have friends who hasn't actually listened to podcasts and hasn't been, like, listened, heard about IPA, um, ask them to visit the website and click on the join button. And starting as low as $22 per year, you can become one of the lowest voice of freedom in Australia. Fantastic. Let's go talk to Evan Mulholland and Jack Mintz. Okay, we now welcome back onto the show the IPA's director, of communications, Evan Mulholland, welcome back. Thanks for having me, guys. 
All right, so let's talk about it because you are our media guru. You're the man that reading the tea leaves the whole time. So the election's called. We're looking at May 18. So who's in the strongest position early on? I think based on the polls, uh, Bill Shorten is in definitely in the strongest position. Um, no doubt about it. Uh, the latest news poll had uh, the coalition still at 48, uh, Labor at 52. But what's interesting about the most recent news poll is that the One Nation vote has collapsed. Um, to only 4%. Um, now what did the, it used to be? Well, it used to be about 10%. Um, the, the reason why uh, the One Nation vote has collapsed, obviously because all of their media scandals and whatnot, but um, in 2016, uh, the main reason for uh, the coalition losing a whole swag of seats in Queensland being so close is because One Nation preference against the Liberal Party or the LNP in a lot of seats, uh, which caused the Liberal Party uh, to lose a whole bunch of um, MPs, mostly moderate MPs that Pauline Hanson didn't like. But I think the less uh, One Nation vote that gets sprayed everywhere uh, and the stronger the coalition's primary vote is, uh, the better. They're actually The primary vote's actually on 39. Uh, that's the equal uh, best primary vote they've had since prior to the 2016 election. So they're in a strong position and polls usually tighten during the election campaign. So being on 39... I think is an okay position for them. If, uh, but I do think uh, Labor's going to need to fall over a bit uh, on their own mistakes for a coalition to pull out a victory. Well, there you have it, folks. Evan Mulholland calls the election victory for the coalition. Uh, <laughs> no, we'll not, get into official predictions really. later. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What uh, what policies um, is this election going to come down to? I think it, um, the coalition wants it to be about economic management. Um, obviously, really, uh, yeah. yes, that's yes. a new tactic for them. Interesting. If if voters go into the voting booth in their mind about the economy, uh, then the coalition will do well. If they're going in thinking about uh, health or education or coalition infighting or leadership spills, then Labor win. Um, so anything they can do to bring the debate back onto tax and uh, Labor's taxes and the coalition's budget management, the better. Um, obviously, the big theme of the last budget was back in black, um, well, the budget's not really in surplus at the moment. As you'd probably know, uh, it's uh, due to be in surplus next financial year, which is, of course, not too far away. Um, uh, but, yeah, it, I mean, it's 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 all about the economy for the coalition. Labor wants to bring it on to health. Uh, they made a big announcement about uh, out-of-pocket costs for cancer patients and trying to uh, inject more money into, into hospitals in order to deal with that. Um, yeah. I noticed you didn't say climate change being one of the major ones there because Labor's uh, climate policy seemed to go down like a lead balloon. Like no one was really that enthused about it. Even the left was saying it doesn't go far enough. So do you reckon that's going to have a negative effect on how they're looking? Yeah, I mean, the Green movement were trying to dub this as a climate election, but they're not happy with either major party's policy on that. Uh, the uh, Policy, for example, to have all new, uh, 50% of new cars to be electric by 2030 is absolutely ridiculous when you consider just 0.2% of Australians actually drive an electric car. Uh, it will put huge amounts of pressure on the electricity grid, one that can't be solved by just solar panels and, and windmills. Um, and, yeah, as Andrew Bushnell said in the Daily Telly, it's g completely gaslighting the nation to think that uh, you can 
you can get away with these things and you can you can tell mistruths about electric cars like Bill Shorten did. Compared it to Married at First Sight. Just yeah, a reference that yeah. went completely over he's my a, head. He's a big fan of Married <laughs> at First Sight. He and is, he is. Um, but he, Bill Shorten said it takes eight or nine minutes to charge. That's ridiculous. It takes about 14 hours. Uh, you do need to charge it overnight. So their policy went down pretty badly. There's a lot of forces at play, particularly in the green left movement, that want the election to be about climate change. It is not. Both parties research over a long period of time rates the economy, health, education and um, border security and defence above climate change. Climate change is a low order issue in the minds of voters. I think The Guardian describes every election around the world as a climate election. Nicaragua votes on climate. No, yeah. no, I don't think so. Anyway, so last election we might, uh, we saw Tony Abbott eating an onion incorrectly. Which politician is most likely to eat food? Actually, we've already seen a few in this election. We've already seen a few uh, food-related stunts. Why don't you talk us through those? Well, um, uh, I think it was yesterday or the day before, Matt Canavan posted a video of him eating an onion. That's right. Uh, he thought he'd give it a go, uh, and, and and he said it wasn't as bad as he thought it would be. I still, find I still think idea. it looks pretty bad. It looks really bad. Yeah. yeah. And don't think we've forgotten about Bill Shorten eating a hot dog from the middle out. That was one of the I was going to say seen. that, and, and when you said predictions, uh, I put – politicians to do weird things because yeah. um, just for the listeners out there, Google uh, Bill Shorten applying sunscreen with his knuckles. Um, he, do, he did what this absolutely weird hell? thing that went viral in that he was applying sunscreen and he, he applied it out of the palm of his hand with his knuckles and then his knuckles to his face. It's, <laughs> it's it was, like applying war paint or it, something. It was, it was the most ridiculous thing that, I've ever seen. Well, I'd like, I mean, we should get Bill Shorten in here and talk about that because yeah, I'd like to actually unpack that. Yeah, because like, you don't just come up with that. There's like some sort of method behind that. I'm not willing to dismiss that. I want to hear the other side of the argument. All right. Uh, so we're talking about uh, the policy differences between the major parties. Now, there isn't a whole lot of difference. There are a few main areas, but uh, the IPA came out last week with uh, the 20 policies, oh, sorry, the 15 policies we want to see but worry, and the five policies we will see we be sh- but we shouldn't. Now, you were very influential in putting this whole document together with Daniel Wilde and John Roskam and a few other people at the IPA. Uh, how many do you think of those, like, how many are likely to get up, how many are likely to get up, and which would you most like to see? What's your personal favourite? Well, um, we... we, we we called it what we did for a reason. Uh, you know, 15 policies they should implement but won't, and uh, five policies they, they will implement but shouldn't. Um, do you remember dreams, Evan? Do you remember hope? And uh, and that's because that's how uh, pessimistic we are about them actually implementing it. But it, it, is, it, is, it is a very solid start. Um, uh, there's uh, all sorts of goodies on there from, from the good side, um, including... Um, uh, obviously, we're drawing from the Paris Agreement, um, uh, privatising the ABC. Um, I'm just trying repealing to, 18C gets a mention. Repealing as well. 18C, ones that they shouldn't, uh, but probably will, is have a constitutional referendum to divide Australians by race. Uh, I think that is very worrying and uh, should rightly be voted down by the Australian people at a referendum. Um, and we also uh, called in that um, policy document for a Royal Commission into the Bureau of Meteorology for mm-hmm. all their tampering of climate data and homogenisation. Um, uh, so I, I think it went pretty well. Daniel Wilde had a great 
article in the Australian about it, about what a coalition government should look like. Uh, it's available on the RPA website. So did that lean heavily on our 75 great ideas that we produced a few years ago that bounces around Twitter every few weeks? It did, it did. It also um, included a, a new policy to um, rotate the appointment of High Court judges between the states. Um, so each state gets one appointment and the co- the Commonwealth only gets one appointment, uh, which is a, a new idea, but would sort of balance the federation. We think. I noticed one thing uh, that didn't get included was a bugbear of yours for the last couple of years on parallel importation of books or whatever the exact wording of that is. I know this is an article you've read a few bit. Uh, sorry, uh, it's a point you brought up a fair few times in articles over the years. So how hard did you push it for it to be in the twenty? Uh, probably not very, uh, to be honest. Um, you sold out. You sold out. Uh, it's still the coalition's policy, and they did try, but uh, unfortunately the Senate is very bad uh, in terms of passing anything to do with repealing things or uh, free markets or lower taxes. What is it? Uh, the, to abolish the parallel import, uh, importation of books, uh, which what? means we could get lots of cheaper books made overseas and... Uh, it's why books in Australia are so expensive. There you go. Okay, Tariff. college boy. All right. Uh, now, as we said, you are the tea leave reader of the IPA. You got called a spinner the other day. You got called a spinner. That was pretty big. Uh, but you can, yeah, you, you're the prediction man. you uh got the crystal ball in front of you. So Pete and I want to hold you to four official predictions that you're going to, that we're going to see. I think we've already had one of politicians doing weird things, which is a spicy prediction. Uh, but anyway, we need three more predictions from you. And then at the end of the campaign, we're going to have you back on and we're going to review how you went. How so, did we come to four? Uh, that's an odd number. Yep. I mean, it's an even it, number. It is actually it's, an even number. It's actually a weird number. even number. Well, I think I decided between three was too few and then five was just, hey, Evan, do all my work for me. So I settled in a nice even four. Yeah, I like your thinking. Uh, so, Evan, talk us through some four predictions. Cool. Uh, first one is that uh, major party candidates will be dumped and uh, one of those has already happened. Uh, Melissa Park, uh, who was planning to run for Labor in Julie Bishop's seat, was uh, dumped by the Labor Party over some comments she made about Israel. Uh, She was peddling uh, BDS nonsense and tinfoil hat conspiracy theories about Israel. And so she's already gone. But I think uh, both major party candidates will have, uh, parties will have candidates that are dumped. It happens every election for all sorts of weird and wacky reasons. I'm just glad we finally have a candidate that's dumped for something that's not Section 44. I'm sick of hearing it in the news. Like, in a sense, I'm glad it's because she said something incredibly stupid. Yeah, well, I mean, the Liberal Party had had to dump about three candidates because of Section 44 issues. Yeah. All right, Hold on. so we have one, and it's already come true, so Evan's off to a flying start. So, all right. so you're just predicting stuff that's happened. <laughs> yeah, uh, <laughs> that's cheating. <laughs> oh, this hasn't happened yet, but it will. Um, the, uh, you, you would have noticed uh, there's a whole lot of uh, independents running, high-profile independents running, St- Zali Stegel against Tony Abbott and Ringer, Oliver Yates in Kuyong, Julia Banks in Flinders, and a few others roaming around, uh, Karen Phelps and Wentworth. My prediction is that these teal independents will fizzle out. They they are pretending to be soft liberals when they're nothing but they're pushing for radical climate action. What's actually happened is the hard green move, uh, left movement uh, have abandoned the Greens political party as a vehicle for power and influence. And they've jumped on these teal independents that are, are, are branding to be soft liberals but pro-radical climate action um, in order to 
get elected and get power and influence because the Greens political party is sitting on about 10% and it hasn't moved for decades. They've all moved to these independents to try to to get elected. Um, Zali Stegel in Warringah, I think she'll do well but ultimately lose. Julia Banks will probably get about 5 to 10% lose. Uh, Kuyong, there's no way an independent is winning that. Um, so my prediction on the first point is that all of those uh, teal independents will fizzle out. Well, it's just going to suck for the media because, boy, have they tried to build that up as, like, this is where the election will be decided. It's especially the ABC, uh, which has shown some outrageous displays of bias. They were literally, no, surely not. That doesn't they were literally in the car with Zali Stegall when she was going to her uh, initial press conference to announce her candidacy. So the ABC has been in on these independents since the start. Mm. Well, I mean, it is the climate election, Evan, so... <laughs> yes. And um, we do we have a fourth or was that number four? No, that was uh, three. Number three. The, the, the third one is that um, major party leaders will do weird things. Yep. Um, and which is what I mentioned before about Bill Shorten. Um, the sunscreen, knuckles. Sunscreen with his knuckles. It's just, oh, it's just, I, I can't get it out Looking of my it up mind. right now. Why um, do they. Oh, so you mean weird stuff, but not intentionally. So this is not like stunts to make themselves seem quirky. Just, no, this is just weird, weird quirks. Yeah. Um, one other thing that I think is really weird. Uh, is that uh, since being elected Prime Minister, Scott Morrison's been like, I don't have an AFL team. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to pretend I like AFL. You know, I'll, I'll go, I like watching it, but I don't have a team, so I'm not going to pick one. Okay. But there's all these tweets from like 2010 to 2012 of him supporting the doggies. and really? and And being during AFL matches tweeting out like, great match, this is really good. Uh, go doggies and people have brought it up. It's but you've been like, no, nah, not true, not true. <laughs> of all the old tweets that get dug up, that has got to be the most inconsequential <laughs> for yeah. me. It's just like, <laughs> oh, we've actually found you supporting the Western Bulldogs. So what say you, sir? Yeah, just uh, try really, it out for yeah, a while. Grinds my gears. Yeah, but I'm I really worse. like, there's nothing worse than a politician that pretends to go for a football team when they don't, or like Scott Morrison saying he looks up to the Western e- like West Coast Eagles uh, as like a. Remember he was at a speech in Western Australia and said, like, I'll look up to the West Coast Eagles. Oh, do you? Because <laughs> they came back in the final quarter. Not a day goes by <laughs> that Scott Morrison doesn't look himself in the mirror and go, think like Dom Shee today. Yeah, but, yeah. But also, or, or Western, uh, West Coast Eagles didn't change their captain halfway through the match. Oh. Uh, oh <laughs> wow, what a burn. Oh. Well, Evan's. Evan, you're about to head off to Thailand. That sounds I had fun. one more prediction. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Yeah. Sorry, yeah. mate. Four. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, Labor will win, but it won't be as much as people say. I think it'll be by like five seats. Five seats, actually, quite close. Okay. Yep. Well, that's a good five one. Five seats, because the coalition will win back a few seats. I think they'll win back Wentworth, and they're going to win back Indi. Where's that? Uh, it is in north, uh, northern Victoria. Okay. Uh, Kathy okay. McGowan is independent, and she's retiring. So. See. So liberals How's back. All? all right. So it could be a lot closer. Would you? How likely, like scale of one to ten, would a liberal victory be for you? Uh, this is not an official prediction. I'm not holding like, you to this. It is being recorded. Write it down. Like three or four. Three or four? Yeah. I thought three or four. All right, cool. Yeah, so let's talk Thailand because... Just uh, briefly. Yeah. yeah. Oh, t- yep. t- take, us, take us away, Pete. You had the question? Are you looking forward to going to Thailand? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Heading off this afternoon. Uh, had it booked for like a year or so. Uh, going away for eight nights. To a nice resort in Kowlak, which is about an hour and a half north of Phuket. Mm-hmm. So uh, this afternoon I'm jumping on an eight-hour flight to, to Phuket. And uh, yeah, it should be Ripper. Yeah, so, oh, sorry, wait, I'm, I'm just, just watching sitting by a beach. I'm just watching the video of Bill Shorten applying sunscreen with his knuckles, and it is outrageous. 
Like he is digging in there. That is pretty weird. Yeah. Yeah. Just uh, listeners, uh, take this moment to just Google it. Yeah. As I just said, I would watch like it with me. So I weird. would like to hear the pros and cons before I pass judgment. <clears throat> no, I, I, I've heard enough. That, that's weird. It should never happen again. And, and, and it, that and man is completely unelectable. If that's his sunscreen policy, I don't know what his other policies as, are. Especially following the fact that he ate his sausages. Uh, sausage middle out. out. Middle out. out. Out of control. Sounds a pattern here. All right, cool. Evan, thanks so much for joining us. We'll have you back on the end of the campaign and when you're a bit more tanned up from Thailand and we will review all of your predictions. Thanks for having me. Same, mate. Okay, we now welcome on to the show Dr. Jack Mintz from the University of Calgary. Now, this is a big interview. This man has been working on tax reform around the world for a very long time. He is one of the leading intellectual minds in the field, and now he's come to the Young IPA podcast, which is, you know, not the greatest sign of his career, but I think it's going to be a really good interview. Uh, but anyway, Jack, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. All right, so we'll try and be as highbrow as possible. <laughs> try and, we'll try and keep it smart. Yes, uh, we'll try very hard. But anyway, let's talk about it. So you are in Australia now. Uh, so what is the reason for you coming out to Australia? Uh, well, actually, I was asked to uh, speak at the Conference of the Minerals Council of Australia, uh, which I re- uh, pre- re- we re- provided a report uh, for them uh, on um, Australia's tax competitiveness. Uh, and it's something which I've been doing a lot, uh, not just here in Australia, but other places. But... Uh, We've had a very good relationship over the over the past several years, where it uh, gives me an opportunity when I do come uh, to talk to various people, uh, including uh, treasury officials, uh, and now uh, I guess young people are going to be listening to this program. Yeah, fantastic. So uh, I read your report for the Minerals Council in preparation for this interview. Uh, the, one of the key points was that Australia has the second highest company tax rate in the world. Um, wh- how has company tax rates around the world changed? In the last couple of years? Uh, well, actually, they've changed a lot over the past uh, two mm-hmm. decades. Uh, in fact, I came from a country, Canada, where where uh, Canada had the highest uh, corporate income tax rate in the year 2000 amongst all OECD countries. And uh, the government was very concerned that uh, they were going to lose a lot of corporate tax revenues to other countries because, you know, companies would, uh, multinational companies particularly, would end up putting costs in Canada where you can write off at a very high rate and then try to push the profits into other other jurisdictions. And so Canada actually lowered its corporate income tax rates over a period of 13 years uh, by by uh, by uh, 16 points to 27%. Uh, and that's one example. United Kingdom has done that. Uh, there's been quite a few countries, actually, that have been doing that over the years because they've been looking at uh, not necessarily losing revenues because they've been broadening the tax base and doing some other things. Uh, to uh, get more revenues, uh, but but uh, they've uh, really wanted to make sure that they were going to have a competitive uh, corporate tax system, or what you call in Australia a company uh, tax system. Because that's the thing, because a lot of young people, when they hear about corporate tax rates, all they hear is making sure that the big businesses and all the multimillionaires pay even more taxes. But the reality is, once you put up the taxes too high, they just leave, and you get absolutely none of that, and none of the investment and none of the jobs that come with it. That's the message that doesn't really get across to young people these days. Yeah, and that's why I think young people need to worry about it a lot more, because... Uh, you know the, uh, it, it's you know most most people uh, who don't don't really understand how businesses make decisions and and how things are done uh, in the world, uh, they just think that uh, you know if you cut if you cut corporate taxes you're just helping the rich, which is actually not true. In fact, what a lot of economic studies have shown in the past uh, uh, decade, actually, um, UK studies, Canadian ones, American ones, uh, is that uh, when it comes to multinational corporate taxes. 
is that uh, actually in a, in a country, if you try to raise taxes on multinational companies, they'll just shift it forward to higher prices for consumers, or they will bargain for lower wages or unemployed workers. So in the end, it's really the immobile factors of production that pay for the corporate tax, and uh, and uh, and that's what these studies have shown. So it actually makes the corporate tax actually quite regressive, because it ends up hitting the poor uh, more with higher consumer prices, uh, or it, or it hurts workers uh, who end up uh, losing jobs, and and that's why millennials should really worry about this, uh, because they're the ones that in the end want to have a good future, and so they want to make sure that they have a vibrant business community. Uh, and an investment climate because uh, they're going to need to make sure they have income and and growing incomes uh, that are going to be very important to them. We're saying uh, President Trump has reduced business tax cuts in the United States, quite a famous example. What impact has that had there? Well, it's actually had, uh, so far in, in 2018, had a pretty good impact. So the U.S. reform took place uh, as of January 1st. 2018, there was a major cut in the uh, company income tax, but there was also a lot of other things that were done that actually uh, raised revenues uh, under the corporate tax. It was a phenomenal change, actually, in the company tax system. Uh, in fact, uh, most of the cane companies I know, and I've heard this also from Australian friends here that about Australian companies, is that people might want to invest in the U.S. because it's you know 20 percent of the world economy. Uh, but uh, they would try to keep all their profits out of the United States. They would put all their costs in the United States and take it out. Under this U.S. tax reform now, you really need to put your profits into the United States to avoid some of the uh, particular rules that have been brought in. And and as a result, the U.S. is probably going to end up generating more revenue than people think under under these changes. And, And on top of it, it's made it much more attractive now to put investment uh, in the United States. And so what's happened is that actually uh, the first p- half year of, uh, of the U.S. tax reform, there was a huge boom in investment. It was close to 20% uh, over, over two quarters. It kind of slowed down lately. Uh, part of that has been rising interest rates. The other thing is the tariff wars have worried the business community and, and has put a bit of a chill on investment. Uh, but it's still relatively good. In fact, uh, for the whole year, business investment in the United States went up 7%. Uh, well, I can tell you that didn't happen in Australia. It didn't happen in Canada either, even though we're benefiting in Canada from the U.S. reform because it's pumped up the U.S. economy and it's made us easier. It made it easier for Canadians to export down to the United States. And also wages have gone up quite a bit in, in the United States. And it is, part, it is due to a tight labor market. But the reason why there's a tight labor market is that the deregulation and the tax reform that's happened in the U.S. has, has really led to a lot of more hiring. And, and now the markets are getting tighter, and so wages now have gone up 3.5% this past year, and, and also productivity has gone up uh, clo- close to 2% this year. So I might be the only one who doesn't understand this, but you've mentioned a couple of times putting your costs in one jurisdiction and your profits somewhere else. What does that actually mean? Well, just to give you an example, you know, suppose I'm a company, I'm operating in Australia and the United States, and I'm earning, you know, let's say a billion dollars in the U.S. That's good. And a billion dollars in, in, yeah, in Australia. Well. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, we're talking about multinationals. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. <laughs> I didn't use trillion, but yeah. I did use a billion. Uh, anyway. One day, one day. Okay, so two billion dollars. Anyway, maybe you'll be that at that point. Sometime. I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, so a billion dollars, let's see. And uh, at the same time, um, uh, you know, you're earning that, those kinds of revenues. Um, you also uh, you also have to, you know, bear certain costs. You've got to bear labor costs, but labor costs you can't shift unless you move the employee. 
but when it comes to things like general administrative costs, you know, like you know, uh, you know, paying uh, fees for certain uh, counting that might be done by the head office and things like that, or interest on debt—that's the most—that's the most common one. It, it's it's just a matter of of uh, you know making a decision. So let's say your your interest expenses are uh, in general, you know, in total, uh, five hundred million dollars. So uh, if you wish, you can try to put it all into United States, or you can put it all into Australia. And it'll all depend where the corporate tax rate is higher. So now Australia has a corporate income tax rate of 30%, and the uh, United States is down to somewhere between 21 and and uh, 31%, depending on the state. But it's, uh, you know, I think a rough guide would be around 25. Uh, but you're much better off to put, put your debt now into Australia. So there will be corporate tax um, uh, base erosion uh, as a result. And so who loses? The, the government is going to end up losing. And there'll be less money available to pay for hospitals and to pay for teachers and, you know, and, and, and the public services that you want. And that's why these issues are very important yeah. uh, to deal with. Yeah, because you say the government's losing, but when you say that there's less money for hospitals and there's less money for other things, it's really the Australian public that loses. Exactly. Yeah. And, and that's, you know, that's important. Yeah, so you're now in Australia. I know you've um, made a paper about Australia. Do you see any political will from either of the parties to get Australia back on the right path? Well, I think uh, you have differing political will. Um, actually, it's interesting. Uh, both major parties uh, agree that something has to be done. Uh, it's just that they have different solutions. So uh, the, the current government had proposed a, a five-point cut in the corporate income tax rate or the company income tax rate uh, from 30 to 25%. Uh, in fact, that was a recommendation made by a very famous uh, tax report that came out of Australia, the Henry Report, 10 years ago. Uh, in fact, the tax rate hasn't changed in Australia for almost 20 years. So, We'll uh, get around to reading it very soon. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> anyway, but anyway, they've argued, you know, they, they made that proposal. It didn't pass uh, Parliament. Uh, the, uh, the opposition party right now, the Labour Party, actually isn't saying, to, oh, let's raise taxes on corporations. In fact, they're saying cut them. But we're going to cut them in such a way that if you invest... Uh, you'll get your tax relief. So they're giving special accelerated depreciation uh, for, uh, you know, for making capital investments. And, uh, and you know, it's a different way of cutting taxes. Uh, is it uh, going to deal with the base erosion that I talked about earlier, you know, where companies will end up shifting because of the, you know, Australia having the second highest company income tax rate. It's kind of like what Canada was in the year 2000. Uh, no, that's, uh, the labor proposal won't help with that. But it will, uh, it will help in terms of generating more investment. But the thing is, um, with both parties, like they, they do have reform packages announced, but they don't seem to be the sweeping, like really good ones that are going to get Australia back on the map. Because as you say, like if we are toe-to-toe with the US at the 25 rate, I mean, the US still has the, one of the world's largest economy, like far much more of a large economy than Australia. Australia needs to be even better than the US to get any sort of traction going, surely. Uh, well, I think, uh, yeah, you know, yes and no. I mean, from an investment perspective, uh, I think uh, the total burden on capital in Australia, including stamp duties and things like that, uh, is now uh, more than the United States. And, and so that point is correct, actually, that uh, Australia, at least from a tax perspective, is not very appealing. Uh, now, it doesn't mean that there aren't some other uh, policies that and other aspects of the Australian economy that's attractive for investment, such as the resource sector. You know, you have huge mining resources, 
and also uh, relatively cheap and high quality to produce that compared to, you know, some other countries. And so uh, that will attract investment for that reason. Uh, plus, you have well-educated workforce. Mind you, in a lot of countries, there's well-educated workforces. Yeah, yeah. Not president of mine. <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, and then there's, you know, you have uh, good infrastructure here. Also, in a lot of advanced countries, there's good infrastructure. And you have good political stability. I mean, you know, some countries, I can tell you, it, I've worked in a number of third world countries. And, you know, rule of law and things like that is very difficult. You have to, you have to deal with, uh, you know, with a lot of bureaucratic uh, nightmare type issues. Uh, you know, which could stall your investments and, and do all sorts of things, uh, you know, as a company. So Australia is pretty good in, on a number of dimensions, and that's attractive for investment. Uh, but uh, now, right now, on the tax side, it's actually um, really actually out of, out of hand, I think, relative to most countries, not just the United States. Uh, in fact, uh, Australia is really uh, only a few countries actually tend to have tax more capital more highly than than uh, Australia, India, Japan, uh, South Korea right now. Uh, but uh, most countries are well below uh, mm-hmm. Australia in terms of that capital tax burden. And so, uh, you know, if you're looking at a country where it's also politically stable, also has good infrastructure, also has a good education uh, and a good workforce, uh, you know, the main, the Australia doesn't stick out any much better than any other country along that. It's good. It's a good country, but it doesn't stick out any as better than any on those dimensions. Although being a resource-based economy, that's one thing that gives Australia a leg up compared to other countries. But the tax side will be a problem, especially for manufacturing and service sectors, because they can't, uh, they, they, it's not as competitive relative to other parts of the world. And so would you put a car plant in Australia? Oh, actually, I think Australia lost a car plant. Yeah, plant we did. Some yeah. 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 a few of them. <laughs> a lot of them. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, would you put in uh, certain other types of, um, you know, manufacturing or, or uh, you know, hi, you know, high service type uh, activities in Australia? Probably not, because you're much better off for tax pres- reasons to put it in other countries with very similar advantages as Australia. So that's why I think the government really needs to think a lot more deeply and broader than just simply tinkering around with depreciation schedules or even a corporate rate cut. I, I don't think that's sufficient either. I think it needs to really look at the base. It also has to look at stamp duties, which is actually quite uh, problematical when you're holding real estate and things like that. All right, brilliant. Uh, so, Dr. Jagmins, thank you so much for coming on the show. Where can people follow you on Twitter if they want to learn more about the taxes around the world? Uh, yes, it's uh, at Jack Mintz. At Jack Mintz. All right, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you. Okay, thank you to Evan Mulholland and Jack Mintz for those interviews. Really interesting stuff. And make sure you're heading over to ipa.org.au to read our 20 policies. Now, let us fly through some stories that made us laugh this week. And if I could start off, Pete. Go, mate. Uh, We're coming up to Easter. We're coming up to the time of chocolate. And uh, this is a very big, big time. Resurrection of Christ. Well, chocolate, um, it's a really good sport weekend as well. But uh, sure, if we want to bring Jesus into this one as well, then uh, all right, Israel Falau. Anyway, um, (laughs) I want to talk you guys through... What is potentially the single worst event in the history of mankind? Okay. Which was the Be UC cool. Berkeley Easter egg hunt. This thing stunk. All right. Uh, so you get there with your kid. You're ready to hunt some Easter eggs. Mm-hmm. You notice that it is just a flat, like, pl- pane of grass. Like, yeah. there's no hiding. The Easter eggs are just on the grass in plain sight of everyone. Not hidden. Not hidden at all. There was no hunting to be done. There's not even a, a lone tree of which you might find a small egg hidden behind. Mm. All on the grass. Uh, you're allowed five maximum. 
Because you don't want kids to be sad. This is a bloody outrage. If you're faster than the other kids, that is almost a hindrance because you get your eggs too quickly and you've got to wait for the slowest kids before you can start eating them. Uh, And then, worst part, all the parents had to sign a waiver before their kids could start partaking. Uh, The line was half an hour long to sign this waiver. And Mm -hmm. here's what it said. Participation in this activity, the activity, all capitals, uh, sorry, capital T, capital A, participation in the activity carries with it certain risks that cannot be eliminated regardless of the care to avoid injuries. These risks range from, quote, one, minor injuries such as scratches, bruises, and sprains. It happens. Kids get a little hard in the paint looking for that extra Easter egg. Some kid gets a scratch. Two, major injuries, such as eye injury or loss of sight, joint or, joint or back injuries, heart attacks and concussions. And then three, catastrophic injuries, including paralysis or death. Now, I ask you, what on earth kind of Easter eggs hunts have these uh, people been on? Well, certainly not ones where it's like a square of grass and all yep. the Easter eggs. I mean, that's not even a proper bloody Easter egg hunt. <laughs> no, So I'm not, not sure what you're worried about with the waiver. Yeah. I need to at least part a few branches of a, of a bush yeah. before you can officially call something an Easter egg hunt. Oh, that is, this is, look, and we're going to move on to what another story that I like to call a bloody outrage story yeah. in a bit. But I yeah. mean, what the Easter egg hunt is meant to be that the biggest kid gets like 90% of the Easter eggs. Yes. And then his mum or dad says, come on, little Jimmy. Yeah. you got to share with Chuck the others. Chuck a few out of the basket. That's right. And look, as a kid that never got the 90% thing, as a kid that's, you know, pushing for scraps... <laughs> You just get over it. Yeah. Well, you form devious alliances and you learn <laughs> to make up for your shortcomings. I mean, that's what it is. Yeah, and the smart game kids, theory. We're teaching kids game theory. That's right. And if you hide them in little areas, you know, the smart kids can work it out. So look, yeah, I mean, yeah. you're, 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 they're all, and apparently they said it was over in like a minute. Yep. Because they just, because they're just like, oh, it's over there, 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 and there. And um, then, yeah, sorry. sorry. I would just suggest to change the name from Easter egg hunt into True. like Easter egg giveaway. Yeah, Easter egg. Yeah. Uh, pick it up from over there, just there. It's right there in front of you. Just take it a bundle. Yeah, and I'm I'm surprised they even let him eat, eat Easter eggs. Like I'm surprised it wasn't little sticks of celery or something like that. Yeah, is there a real egg or just a chocolate egg? Good question, isn't it? <laughs> not a, that's well, not a so good like an actual real that's, egg. That's but, but some some people have like real egg, like a boiled egg. What really? are you talking about? Now? No, I used to do that. Really? Yeah, yeah, my Easter eggs, my yeah, Easter egg was just boiled, hard boiled eggs. <laughs> that and explains a lot. It, yeah, <laughs> and you painted really the shells, and then you just like. Oh, okay. So you sort of drained it all, and then suddenly Nina makes sense. Like yep. just the <laughs> the makeup of Nina today makes sense. Yeah. So you're saying no eggs chocolate instead of chocolate? Eh? No chocolate, hard boiled eggs. Well, yeah. See, that's the they should that is the real you know. That was actually a real Easter egg hunter, I think, not the chocolate egg. No, the chocolate egg is a real easy. This is a. This is a. Uh, this has flown completely off. This is. I sometimes. I'll tell you what. If I was at an Easter egg hunt and I unwrapped it and I found out it was a hard boiled egg and chocolate, then I'm glad people, other people, signed waivers about <laughs> catastrophic injuries and paralysis. Sometimes. Because I'm throwing haymakers. Sometimes you think you know everything about a topic and yep. then it's something comes out of left field and hits you in the eye. Thanks that's, for that, Nina. That's out of control. We'll have to park that and talk about it. Next yeah, week. I just really want to be like see the parents that had you know their four year old point looking at all the chocolate for half an hour saying, "Dad, can I go over there now?" And it's like, "No, I've got to wait half an hour in this line to sign a waiver that you won't die." And then you'll have thirty seven seconds of fun. <laughs> I'm so glad I'm not and a kid. Then we go home. I'm so glad I'm not a kid anymore. Yes. Like in a legal sense, <laughs> emotional. We're there for a while. All right. Uh, anyway, let's move on to another one, Pete. Well, as I said, we had another bloody outrage story coming along. It's a certain kind of uh, sort of subset of what we do here at the IPA podcast, Young IPA podcast, yeah. local pub. And obviously 
when you get pubs involved, often they're bloody outrage stories. Yep. Closest and barbecue. Peter Gregory is interested. It's a bloody outrage, mate. No, yep. so local pub pub closes barbecue after complaints from neighbours. Uh, welcome Hotel in Belmain, Sydney ordered to stop using its popular barbecue. The Inner West Council ordered it to be turned off after complaints from neighbours. Neighbours claimed smoke and odour was air pollution that could affect health. Pub owner Liam O'Keefe said the council was tr- was tying him up in red tape. He would be fined up to $8,000 a day if he continued using it. He said, uh, I'm using every, oh, sorry, I'm losing money every day. The grill is not open. It's a terrific addition to the pub and makes up about 40 to 50% of our weekend revenue. Imagine moving next to a pub and then being angry that it's a pub. Oh. Do you think he's a vegan? Yeah, well, <laughs> this guy definitely Maybe. raided a cafe like, in his time. Like grill, what, what's wrong with grill? Yeah, exactly. It tastes amazing. I yeah. mean, it smells uh, amazing. Yeah, I'm yeah. sick of having my Sundays ruined by something smelling really good and then me getting hungry. It is a vegan. That's definitely right. This is What definitely- else? Like there's no sense uh, like for this. I yeah. also thought that it was uh, developers inventing reasons that they need to close down so they can build flats. Well, that maybe. seems to be his theory, the guy that owned the pub. Yeah, he specifically said it's hard to, you know, if you want this pub not to turn into a thing of flats, yeah. allow me to make my grill, which is just, you know, he's just grilling standard stuff. Yeah. Uh, Very sad that seafood bit the dust. He said, I had to stop grilling seafood. That's one of life's few pleasures. One of the seafood. The few pleasures available <laughs> yeah. to the 2019 yeah, 20-something. Yeah, James Bolt. <laughs> So, sorry, go on. No, you go. Oh, well, look, you know, I'm just, you know, you can't drink outside these days. You can't smoke. Yep. You can't have a barbecue. You can't have live cockfighting anymore. <laughs> just don't get, you know, what are they trying to do? I'm okay trying to ruin no this country. <laughs> oh, I want that on record. That's the problem. I've seen, I've seen the perfect amount yeah. of live cockfights in my time, can't which is a flat zero. Can't have a duel anymore out the front after a few Now, that's rhythms. an outrage. Yeah. Now, that is, if you can't get into a pub argument... And then challenge them to muskets at dawn, yeah. and I'm out. After a few froth whitlams or beer echo Obamas, why is it always lefties, the, mm. the, the good beer puns? I don't know. Let's think about that. Uh, that's the topic for next week's show. All right, uh, speaking of uh, bloody outrages, so uh, Michigan State University, someone's got into their public uh, – basically, if you're at Michigan State University, you can, can make a, you can make a complaint yes, you that can. Uh, you're you – know, that things have infringed on your ability to have a safe space at university mm-hmm. and what these complaints were has got out into the media. And some of these are just fantastic. So a student at a Michigan State University actually filed a bias complaint against his roommate for watching a Ben Shapiro video. The oh. student was asleep, woke up from a nap, roommate's watching a Ben Shapiro video. That's a bias complaint. I reckon the person watching the Ben Shapiro videos dodged Bullers, because yep. if you want to spend your college years yes. with a roommate like that, like yep. I mean, out of all the things he could be doing, yep. he's watching a Ben Shapiro movie, video, you know, yeah, exactly. a bullet. But you know, uh, uh, hilarious that that's a bias complaint. But yes, if you were the w- student watching video, you got out of this very, very well. So I found one in this story which I thought was pretty good. One, in, so it wasn't just students; it was also staff members. One employee yep. accused another staff member of breaking a chair due to his fat ass, <laughs> in quotes, his fat ass. And in another example. An employee was reported for displaying a resist Trump sticker on campus. So actually, it kind of goes both ways, doesn't it? Yeah. Uh, it's just all one big uncomfortable off. Well, I, I got this other one. So another bias report complained that a completed game of Hangman had been left up in a residence hall with the word South being the final word played. That's it. Like there was a picture of the Hangman and the word was South. Yeah. Like, well, that's one that's, of those. That's a bias complaint. If you can if you can hear the dog whistle, yeah. one of the dogs. <laughs> you would not want to be in a geography class with the person that makes that bias complaint. Yeah, exactly. Just what's beneath North America. Well, let's move on. 
yep. No, exactly right. Um, what, so what I thought I mean, a key part of any education was being uncomfortable. I'm uncomfortable yeah. constantly. I'm uncomfortable oh, right now. I'm, I've never been comfortable. This is terrible. Yeah. Uh, room. Another one I got, uh, a cartoon making fun of uh, liberals, the American way of saying liberal, but a cartoon make, making fun of liberals, posting in a residence hall, let a student complain twice in three days. Three days. Yeah. Just don't. Just you do it. Yeah, <laughs> like yeah. You take the cartoon down. Yeah, exactly right. Even if, it, if it's ruining your day that much. Or come up with an alternative cartoon. And then we can have a cartoon off. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, anyway. So there's a few of those. There was one uh, Christian club was doing a survey. Someone complained about the survey made them feel uncomfortable and the woman got removed from the residence hall, the person doing the survey. And then she made a complaint that her getting escaped from the residence hall made her feel uncomfortable. Whoa. Everyone's uncomfortable. And then the person that filed oh. all the paperwork, they f- that would feel uncomfortable. Yeah, because they have to do more work. And us covering the story, we feel uncomfortable covering the story. It doesn't make me feel Nina happy. feels uncomfortable listening to the story. Can't imagine yeah. what our viewers are going through. Listeners are going through right now. I hope you don't have any viewers. We thought that we have viewers right now when we're not filming Makes me uncomfortable. It's just spiralling it's out spiral. of control. We should all complain to Michigan State University. Every single actually. person in the world should complain to Michigan State University. So that was, uh, to if you want to go look at them yourself, that was from College Fix. Yep. Um, and they did one of those FOI type requests. I don't know what the word in is in America, but effectively the same thing. Yes. All right. And it's all there, 114 pages. Okay, cool. Last thing, uh, we want to plug a event that's coming up it's always a great event in the calendar the yep. Friedman Conference Pete that's right so this uh, Australian Libertarian Society Friedman Conference this year's ALSFC will be held along the 17th world alongside the 17th world taxpayers conference plus celebrating the centenary centenary 100 years James of tax and super australia for the biggest free market conference in the history of the asia pacific region Whoa. that is a big that's a big region what do the kids say flex <laughs> Weird flex, flex, but okay. Yeah, that's not a weird flex. That's a great flex. That's a great flex, and it's very okay. So it's in Sydney. From flex on them. Don't on the haters. That's Sorry, right. I could keep going. No, that's all right, Game mate. <laughs> okay. I'm just derailing Pete right now. It's fun. 23rd to the 27th of May in Sydney. Don't miss it. Get there. It's an interesting seminar, but it's also a lot of fun. Yep. There'll be uh, Tanvi Ahmed, Steve Baxter, Daisy Cousins, and a woman I'm looking forward to hearing from, Bhuvana Arnard, a researcher from the Centre for Civil Society in India, an organisation that's lifted hundreds of thousands of people out of poverty by reducing government regulation and allowing small business to flourish. Of course, lots of IPA speakers, John Roskam, Scott Hargraves, Chris Berg, Sinclair Davidson, Kurt Wallace and Dan Wilde. Fantastic. So, yeah, make sure you get your tickets. Always a good conference. Hopefully, we're going to be having a few interviews come out of that for the IPA. Uh, but we'll see. Just Google it. You'll find the tickets. Absolutely. So, that is it for the show. Well, actually, before we end the show, okay. can I just give a... What the hell, New South Wales? So... The final election results have come out of the New South Wales state election. What the hell? No David Lionhelm and no Peter Phelps. Now, keeps in the open getting a seat is good. Hopefully a few less lockout laws. But if you don't have David Lionhelm and you don't have Peter Phelps, I don't know what you're doing. So the libertarian vote is, um, what's the word? Swin- like it's, it's gone away. Cannibalising each other. Yes. But they voted for the Sydney people yes. in the open. But, you know, Peter Phelps and David Lionhelm, big loss to politics in New South Wales. So... That's a big WTF to NSW. All right, that is it for the show this week. Thanks so much to Evan Mulholland and Jack Mintz for coming on the show. 
Make sure you're going to ipa.org.au to read the 20 policies and you can also read all the other things the IPA has been working on the last week. And thanks so much for everyone to listening to this podcast available on all good podcast apps. Make sure you're going out and telling friends and family about the show. Keep spreading the word. And if you are listening to us through iTunes or through Apple Podcasts, please leave us a five-star review. You can also leave a comment, maybe tip the show uh, or something you want to see and maybe a story that you've seen that you want us to talk about. Um, and make sure you're also subscribed and downloading the Looking Forward podcast. That's also available on all podcast feeds. Uh, and make sure you're leaving them through a five-star review as well on Apple Podcasts or iTunes. Now, Nina, if people are subscribed to both podcasts, if they're making us part of their feed on any of their platforms, what can people do if they want to support the IPA even more? Well, just visit the website at ipa.org.au and click the join button. And starting as low as $22 per year, you can come on one of the largest voice Loudest voice of freedom in Australia. Oh I just have a tongue tied. <laughs> what just happened there? I have no idea. Also, oh, also jbolt at ipa.org.au. Can't discuss Game of Thrones with Pete because he hasn't seen it yet and I'm desperate to get my takes out. So jbolt ipa.org.au. Oh, see you, everyone. Oh, see you guys next week. <laughs> you know,